Hello everyone, it's Dr. Nigro again with our next edition of Psychology Unplugged. Thank you for all of your continued feedback, positive comments, and questions, which have been really helpful in helping myself and my wife try and formulate uh, topics we're going to broach every week. So the one we're going to focus on today is stress. That's been one of the most common things that people have been asking about. Not surprising, given that we are all living in a very uh, dystopian world and a very bizarre time uh, through this current pandemic. And stress is something that is very unique to the human condition. To really understand a lot about stress, uh, I would recommend a great book. It's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky. Interesting concept because stress really is very much a unique experience for humans. Uh, I want to focus on the physiology of the stress response. Okay, so stress is a subjective, perceptive experience. I've mentioned this before. Two individuals, several individuals, all witness and experience the same event. All of the individuals are going to have different perceptions. Some may find that situation anxiety or stress provoking. Others may find it simply innocuous and doesn't bother them whatsoever. But what happens to the body when it is perceived to be in a sense of danger? Now, humans are designed to do two things. One, procreate. Two, survive. And stress and anxiety, as ironic as it may seem, are actually adaptive and part of the survival mode of the human experience. So when an individual perceives something as being dangerous, the eyes and the ears send information to a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's an almond-shaped structure. It's a part of the brain that contributes to emotional processing. So what the amygdala does is it interprets the images and the sounds and then instantly sends a distress signal to the hypothalamus. Help, 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 SOS, danger, 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 Will Robinson, to reference lost in space. Um, The hypothalamus is the area of the brain that functions like the command center. And it communicates with the rest of the body through the nervous system. So the individual has the necessary and requisite energy to either decide to fight or to flee the perceived stress provoking situation. All right. So in essence, what the amygdala does is sends the distress signal. The hypothalamus activates the sympathetic nervous system. Now think of sympathetic nervous system as being with the word sympathy. It sympathizes with the body's perceived state of fright and fear and stress. So the sympathetic nervous system sends signals through the autonomic nervous system. Now, the autonomic nervous system, think of that as being automatic. It's as automatic as flipping a switch and turning the lights on. And it goes to the adrenal glands. Now, these are the glands that respond by pumping hormones, uh, epinephrine or adrenaline, into the bloodstream. This is the necessary hormone to help us to get out of the perceived dangerous, stress-provoking, anxiety-provoking situation. As epinephrine epinephrine starts to circulate throughout the body, it brings on a number of physiological responses that, that happen very, very quickly. So what are some of these responses? 
Okay, the heart beats faster than normal. It pushes blood through the, to the muscles, the heart, and other you know vital organs. Pulse rate, blood pressure go up. The individual undergoing these changes begins to they start breathing more rapidly. It's causing extra oxygen to be sent to the brain and increases alertness. It's sharpening the eyes, the ears, the large muscle groups, the areas of the body that are necessary to remove the individual out of that perceived sense of danger. Uh, like I said, sight, hearing, other senses become stronger. Epinephrine triggers the release of blood sugar, glucose, and fats from the storage sites in the body and, and energy supplies that are driven to those component, those requisite physiological parts to get us out of that anxiety-provoking situation. Uh, too much cortisol for a prolonged period of time, not good, can lead to prolonged physiological reactions such as weight gain. Um, all right, so the hypothalamus then releases a corticotropin-releasing hormone, which then goes to another part of the brain called the pituitary gland. This gland triggers the release of adrenocorticotropic hormone. All right, so this hormone then travels to the adrenal glands and prompts them to release the cortisol. So when the perceived threat passes, the cortisol levels fall, and then the parasympathetic nervous system brings the response back down into a state of homeostasis or equilibrium. Now, if you've experienced stress, which we all have, and again, it's an idiosyncratic thing. What, what stresses me out is not the same what stresses my wife out or what stresses Joe out or Pete out or Mary or Alice, whatever. It's individualized. So we have diagnostic, you know, we don't have really have a stress disorder. I mean, we have post-traumatic stress disorder, but that's going to be for a different topic. Uh, we just take the concept of generalized anxiety disorder. Now, there's there's pharmacological interventions, there's psychotherapeutic interventions, such as cognitive behavioral therapy. So the key from a, a therapeutic perspective is to, one, understand that this is a natural response. Uh, what makes me anxious, again, makes somebody else not anxious and so on and so forth. So from a therapy perspective, take the general and make it specific. I talked about this concept of vertical descent last time when I talked about cognitive behavioral therapy. When you, you when you keep it in the realm of generalize, it seems incredibly overwhelming. It seems like everything in the world that we can't get out of our own way. You know, I keep going back to perception because that is a crucial part of how we navigate through the world. Everything is perception. Reality is subjective. How we see things is different. It's different at different places, in different points of time, in different experiences that we are in. We do not live in the here and now. We live in the past. We live in the future. Very few of us, including myself, we do not live here. And that is one of the hardest things to do. And we can't really get out of our own way and get out of our own head. And once this anxiety response kicks in, it's debilitating. And it can become incredibly overwhelming and impact all areas and aspects of life. So I'd like to bring my wife, Julie, back on to share, you know, different interventions because one advantage of um, her background is not just 
in psychopharmacology, but she also has very strong therapeutic background. So I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork because a lot of questions people were asking was, what's going on in my body? And all this stuff may seem very complicated and realize it's happening automatically, but it's also happening as, and here's another the irony, as discomforting as it is, it's adaptive in helping you to maintain survival, psychological, physiological, or both. Julie, over to you. So um, I recently went to a um, Harvard Medical School training on holistic medicine. Um, Particularly, I was interested in, um, you know, the treatment of depression and anxiety, but today we're talking about anxiety. Um, You know, whatever the the whole um, physiological stress response that Core just explained to you, um, with the release of cortisol, um, increases inflammation. Um, that has been, that has led to disease. Um, this is what the whole mission of kind of disease, any kind of disease. It's like rheumatoid arthritis. And you think of inflammation, if you, if you kind of explore that, you know, it, it, it affects anxiety with the release of cortisol and the more anxious you are, it can lead to more inflammation. Um, decreasing inflammation is key and meditation is one of those things that we were taught at the CEO um, because it can lead to all kinds of various diseases. Can I share my perspective on that one? Sure. On meditation. Okay. One of the advantages of living in Massachusetts is we're very blessed and privileged to be have access to the trainings through Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital. Julie had mentioned going to this conference, and um, she wanted me to try guided meditation, the work by Deepak Chopra. Now, I've tried yoga, can't do it. I've tried mindfulness, can't do it. I've tried progressive muscle relaxation, can't do it. My mind is wandering. When is this over? I, I got things to do and it's like I'm bored with this. So I was open to trying the guided meditation and long story short, one, I was open to it, which made it more receptive. We hooked our iPhone up to a wireless speaker and the research shows 20 minutes. And so we set our watch for 20 minutes and I was really invested in it and it was transformative. It was one, it was a feeling of relaxation that I can't remember a time that I've I've felt in the past. And uh, the nice thing when you go to these conferences, they give you these great books with all the PowerPoints. The data is very compelling how effective guided meditation is as comparing it to cognitive behavioral therapy, comparing it to uh, psychotropic medication, incredibly effective. And from a personal experience, it I believe it worked. I think the data is robust in showing that it works. And I've since that time, I've put this in pretty much every single neuropsych evaluation I've done as a recommendation for a variety of the affective disorders. So that's my personal perspective on guided meditation. Julie? So the use of meditation has been heavily researched now. Before it was considered kind of, I hate to say fluffy, um, wasn't really considered a um, kind of a medical remedy. Now it is. Yoga is also considered a medical remedy. Um, strengthening the body, um, decrease inflammation. The goal being try to reduce cardiovascular disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, cancer 
Avon. Um, so this was, this is like a big picture kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but when I was there and I listened to the, the person talking about one of the speakers was a doctor and, you know, after <clears throat> each segment, um, this one was particularly about meditation. And at the end of it, I, I went up to him because usually they'll, they'll stay afterwards and you can ask them questions, um, and interact with them. And I, I was very honest with him. I, I went up to him and I said, listen, how do I help my patients to do this meditation? How can I encourage them to do it when I can't really do it myself? Um, there really aren't centers around us that have meditation that's really convenient. Um, and he said, he, he asked me if I had a phone app, um, you know, music phone app, and he helped and he downloaded this for me on my phone. And this way, you know, I can do it anytime. There are a lot of, um, apps, mind app, mind app is one, um, that you can download on your phone to use meditation. But, you know, it's not about having a clear mind. That is the wrong expectation to have. It's about just paying attention. It's about, it, it, it's extremely useful, um, in treating anxiety. What about the the oils and the scents and the you know the, the six senses? Yeah, so I like I said, I always wear a therapist hat, especially with what people kind of who hat? Are, trucker hat, ski cap, a baseball hat, baseball hat, backwards yeah. or forwards on the side. Oh, um, good for you. So anyway, core interrupt us. Um, talking about those six senses, this is something as I as a trained therapist. I bring to my work as a prescriber, um, and I can't help it, you know, I, and, and it's stuff that I want to help people learn about themselves because it's very, very important to not totally rely on medication. Um, medication does only part of it. And a lot of people out there think that meds are going to cure everything. Well, they're not. They're going to help repave your neurology. Um, that's what they're going to do. They're going to, like we talked about in the pharmacology episode. So generalized anxiety or panic, um, let's break it down a little bit. Generalized anxiety is when someone's pretty much like chicken little anxious all the time. And he also represents panic disorder as well. An acorn falls on his head. He screams and runs through the village, tells everybody the sky is falling, creates a village panic. Well, also histrionic personality disorder. So um, th- so let's talk about the panic. Um, so when people are really, really stressed and having moments of stress where they feel, they f- it feels debilitating and it feels like the end of the world. Um it's it's very important for you when you're not in the middle of a panic attack to develop this skill set which is which is based on six senses yoga yoga is a perfect metaphor what for are the life six senses? yoga is movement the sixth sense the sense they added is movement um based on the five senses sight hearing taste smell touch then the sixth is movement, um, yoga and physical, any physical activity, working out, going for a walk, you know, those things can increase dopamine levels too, to help people feel better. The body's natural high. So yoga is a perfect metaphor for getting yourself into 
difficult positions, but holding those positions, breathing through those positions, because that's sort of like breathing through a panic attack. Can you get into child's pose? Are you in a place? So sometimes people have panic attacks. They come out of nowhere. They, there's no precipitating event. And just as an aside, panic attacks are the most common cause of emergency room visits because they mimic cardiac symptoms. When people are afraid because they've had experienced panic attacks, they can develop a generalized anxiety because they're afraid of having a panic attack. And especially when they know they're coming out of nowhere. People, they talk about triggers, but not everybody experiences a triggering moment, or at least they don't know it. So someone can have a panic attack when they're on the, when they're on a train or a bus or even on an airplane or in a grocery store. That's one of very common place for people when they're out in public. So you're having a panic attack. What can you do? So that's why I'm bringing up the, the six senses because if you take, let's, I'm going to give you an example. Um, touch, smell, taste. What you can do in this area is what I tell a lot of my patients. If you can think about this, a panic attack or uh, an extreme stressful situation, visualize your, that you're lying on a beautiful lawn or on even on the beach and you're looking up at the sky and there's a cloud that's passing. You have to please try to uh, try to picture that this cloud has a beginning, middle and an end. They're all different shapes and sizes, but they all move. Um, someone who is having an anxiety attack, um, I usually try to focus on touch first, um, taste and smell. When people are extremely anxious, they're worried about something that hasn't happened yet, or something has happened, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen again, but this, they're waiting for the shoe to drop. Something bad, danger is imminent. So for taste, smell, and touch. The grapes, I do, I always tell people to get, go to the store, get seedless grapes, run them underwater, throw them in the freezer, let them freeze. Grab an orange, a few oranges, put them in the freezer, um, and let them freeze. Um, I also tell people to take face cloths, spray lavender on them, um, and run them underwater and bunch them all up into a ball throw those in the freezer, put them in a little bag and throw them in the freezer. These are things you can do when you feel a panic attack coming on, or even if you're in the middle of a panic attack, because what it's doing is the sensations of the smell and the touch. If the frozen grapes, frozen orange, the frozen towels, we'll take the grapes, for example, first. They taste good. They're healthy. Don't choke on them. But they will bring the frozenness and the taste will bring you into the here and now because that's what you need to do. It's about grounding yourself in the here and the now and that you are okay. You're always okay. Anxiety doesn't let us feel that. Anxiety is kind of a bully. So you kind of have to ground yourself in, you know, to um, help yourself through these situations and strengthen yourself. The second one would be the orange. The orange is with that big cloud that looks really huge and it's moving really slowly. And you know there's a beginning, middle, and end, but it feels impossible. I like the oranges because they're frozen. They take a long time to thaw. You can eat it. It smells fragrant. And that will 
be that would be the perfect example for a, one of those big clouds that doesn't seem to ever want to end. Um, would you advocate these techniques in lieu of psychotropic medications, or just as isn't? Well, because let, let me just do the last one, and I'll speak to that. Um, the 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 frozen washcloths are particularly wonderful because they if you spray lavender or something that's soothing um peppermint lavender um sweet orange chamomile lemon balm any kind of those scents but particularly lavender is well studied pull you take them out of the freezer and you start pulling them the freezing cloth will awaken you it will ground you and as you pull and pull you'll smell the lavender which will soothe you um that's the other one um, that I wanted to, those are my three best ones. Um, the last, what you, to speak to what you just said, people who have a generalized anxiety disorder and even a panic disorder usually benefit from having um, medication uh, on board. Um, Zoloft, sertraline, um, Lexapro, escitalopram, Celexa, citalopram, venlafaxine, um, which is this, this an SNRI, um, which is a Fexor. Um, all these medications at low doses, and I'm, I'm only naming a few, treat and assuage generalized anxiety and panic disorder to a degree. But is it going to cure everything? No. Sometimes we'll have as-needed medications, benzodiazepines, are designed for that. Um, sometimes if you're on a plane and you're freaking out, you're going to need a little extra something. Um, they should really shouldn't be taken every day, um, ideally, because long-term use can cause cognitive impairments and memory loss. Um, that's also been recent research regarding benzodiazepines. Intolerance levels will go up if you take them regularly. And psychological dependence. In withdrawals, if you can't access the medication, and also in if you're on a high dose all day long, you can't come right off of the medication without being on an anticonvulsant because you can suffer from seizures. So the taper process is necessary. Just a little side note. But um, in you know weighted blankets, um, not even just at bedtime. You know sometimes I have patients who have weighted blankets that they wrap themselves. A wrap around themselves. What can you do though if you're in a grocery store and you're having a panic attack? Well, first of all, most important is you need to get someplace safe. So you need to just take a space, someplace safe, just let someone know, somebody safe. You need to sit down and kind of get your bearings. I like taste for this. Um, Sour, sour candy, um, fireballs. Um, you know, again, you have to be careful. Um, diabetics, of course, can't eat candy, but, um, thinking about like something sour. Sour Patch Kids used to come out with like the sour sprays. It's like really when you go to like Cumberland Farms, you got to go to places like this to get this stuff. Um, to put in your mouth to, to jolt you into the here and the now. So, Grounding, 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 bringing yourself back, uh, soothing sounds like meditation is one, but in reality, can you really meditate if you're in the throngs of a panic attack in the grocery store? Are you going to be able to get in child's pose? Probably not, but things get, that you, you can- get a lot of strange looks if you do. Yeah. So, so <laughs> unfortunately, 
some of those things are very helpful. Um, uh, but, you know, just hearing sound, it, you were having an iPod, um, no, a pod, duh, a pod um, with music that's calming. Anything that's oh, going to come. No, it's not an iPod. A pod is like a. Oh, <laughs> I think it's because we're <laughs> moving out. That's why I was thinking of that. So iPod, sorry, um, with a specific um, category, anything that soothes you. For me, if I'm anxious, Nat can call, done. He calms me down. But His the key, voice calms me down. you bring up is having access to these. Right. You can bring an iPod anywhere you go. Um, Just don't, don't use a fanny pack. That's, you know, I'm not in the 80s. It's, yeah. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> there are medications as needed, um, and you know there are. I only spoke to a few. Um, you brought up a really good point about practice. You need to practice. We all need to practice this stuff, right? So the body is able to learn, you know, muscle memory, brain memory, so it can access it. You know, just trying to get to this stuff, like Julie said, in the middle of a grocery store is really difficult and can become incredibly overwhelming, but practice this in the non-anxiety, non-stressful provoking states so that when, you know, X causes Y, primary tenet of cognitive therapy. So when your X's, which you need, I strongly recommend identify, take the general, make it specific. What are your, what are you anxious about? What are you stressful about? And practice a lot of the techniques that Julie is talking about. So the body learns the memory so it can access it once it's triggered. And I also really believe in cognitive behavioral therapy uh, as to, and I used to, I used to run groups and work with people individually. And I do still do that. I weave that into my work at times. I think it's, it's crucial. And, and, you know, I think what I learned working with people is that when you're trying to replace a thought, um, an irrational thought with a rational thought, it really should just be that. I think a lot, so many times I think people like, I'm a, I'm a failure. Um, uh, I'm dying. Um, uh, I'm going to be attacked or, uh, something horrible is going to happen. Um, that's an irrational thought to replace it with, you know, something f- too fluffy is not realistic. So I think sometimes people will go to extremes and it, I found that it doesn't really work. If you, if you come up with realistic thoughts, you need to change the thought. The way you, the, the, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That is cognitive behavioral therapy. So if, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. So if you, if you replace the irrational thought. You do this, you can do this in a journal or on a piece of paper. This is what you're doing in between sessions, just like Cor said a week or two ago. Therapy, this is to empower you guys. This is to empower you. Know yourself better. Um, it's all, it's all only going to help you and try to focus on with your therapy sessions a list of all of your rational thoughts. How can you come up with something rational so you can retrain your brain? It's all about repaving, repaving the, the, the neuro, neurological pathways that have been etched in your brain, um, over the years. So. So there's a, obviously a lot of irony when it comes to, uh, stress and anxiety because 
As debilitating, frustrating, annoying that they may be, the irony is they're also designed to protect us psychologically and physiologically from any perceived sense of danger. So hopefully we've been able to lay the groundwork for some effective uh, psychoeducation on, you know, what's actually going on in the body, as well as some, you know, what I think are definitely effective interventions. But as I've mentioned, you know, the talk with cognitive behavioral therapy, the real work takes place in between sessions. And how fast you get there is directly proportional and related to how fast and how or how long and how much time and effort you put into it. And that that's for pretty much all dif- all disorders across the spectrum of mental health. So until next time, thank you for listening. Again, for being a part of this uh, endeavor that we've embarked on. Uh, if, again, contact me as people have been at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com or through psychology today if you want to speak um, or shoot me an email. And as I say each session, become independent of the good opinions of others. Until then, be well, and we'll talk to you then. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.